Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Jason Snow back again, and this is another episode of the Jason Snow Show. This one, episode 30. We're growing some gray hair and and getting some wrinkles. I love it. It's great. Uh, Yeah, episode 30 for Friday, June 18th, 2021. How is your day going today? Uh, Today's been a great day for me, but I got to fit this podcast into the mix, going to cover a a softball game rather soon. So I got to fit you guys in, you know what I mean? (laughs) Got to fit you guys in. But as I left you guys off last episode, I was taking suggestions on, do you have any rules of watching sports? Does Does anything drive you crazy about watching sports? Because if you didn't listen to last episode, I came up with, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write an imaginary book that's not in existence yet. It's called uh, The Handbook of Rules of Watching Sports by Jason Snow. It's a great publication. You should should go order it when it never publishes. But um, a couple that I thought of was, number one, don't rule a seven-game series, regardless of sport, over, quote-unquote over. That's the key word. Don't use it unless one of the teams has won three games yet. That's the biggest key. If it, if a series is 2-2, don't call it over. Okay, you can say one team's convincingly ahead. You can say, you know, another team has ground to make up. Th- those are all well and fine. You can do that. Just don't say it's over yet. And then another one that I came up with was wins are not a quarterback stat. Uh, because a lot of people say, oh, this quarterback has won this much. That means they're this good. Well, you're kind of ruling out the offensive line, the defense. The, the game is a lot more complicated than, oh, Tom Brady's starting today. He's going to win. Patrick Mahomes is starting today. He's going to win. And you saw it in the Super Bowl. Mahomes needs an offensive line. Uh, Brady needs weapons. You saw it in his waning years in New England. Um, but I was taking suggestions, right? And I got this one here. Rules for watching hockey. I'm not a big hockey guy, as you might as you might be able to tell by this podcast. But you know, as I cover it more and, and I get more immersed into it, take this under under advisement. Ready? Uh, rules to watching hockey. Never f- try to follow the puck. Follow the flow of the play, and you'll see the puck. And of course, that's more wisdom. So you know, I, I don't know how well I can speak to that. I don't. You know, I cover hockey for high school. I, you know, watched some of the NHL playoffs, but I'm not a big hockey guy. So, you know, as I, you know, get more immersed in, as I said, I'll have to take that one into consideration. So if you're not a big hockey guy and you want to get into something new, don't follow the puck, follow the, pl- follow the, pl- follow the flow of the play and, and you'll follow it a lot better. But I would, I didn't get too many responses, but I wanted to, to shout some more suggestions out. So I did a little research and I found this list on Bleacher Report. And it was written in 2008, so that that's fine. Um, and one of them, <laughs> kind of some silly suggestions here. One of them, number 17. My list is only three, you know, three bullet points long. This guy's is, let's see, 20, 20. Uh, number 17 here is real fans sing along with the national anthem. Okay. The, <laughs> no fan. I, you know, maybe towards the end you do a little sing, but... Uh, I'm not there singing the entire thing. That That's just, I don't know. Like my fan experience at games, and we've seen fans kind of go off the rails in the last couple of weeks, especially in the NBA. My existence as a fan, I I swear, the the rats underneath the parquet floor at the TD Garden make, no, make more noise than me. Like I, I, I just sit there like I'm a book at the library, like I'm just collecting dust. Like I'm pretty sure a lot of the fans, if they like bold enough, if they knew me, they'd like probably reach over and tap me on the shoulder and be like, are you having a good time? Do you want to go? Like, I just kind of sit there. I kind of think of it analytically. I, I don't really feel like I'm, ooh, I'm at the fan. Like, I don't think I'm a fan. I don't like 
if a beach ball at one of those events, you know how they do it in the baseball crowd. I don't know if they do it at Fenway anymore, but at least at other baseball parks, if they were to like toss around the beach balls, I wouldn't like, uh, that's just not my thing. I just like, I would probably go there on a polo if I had the opportunity. I don't know. I just think like, this is what I would do if I was the coach. I don't like sit it. Like, I don't think it's a rock concert. I don't jump into other people. I don't boo. I've never booed in my life. Boo, boo. I've never done that. I've never poured popcorn on an opposing player. I've never spit on anyone. I'm just kind of like boring as a fan. And I just kind of sit there silent. I guess I do that when I watch games at home anyway, either like two. I just kind of sit in my recliner. I take a little notes, jot a little thing down. I I don't like screw. Well, I guess I have done that before, but like at home, I don't do that in public. I don't know. I'm I'm a weird fan. I'm a weird sports fan. I just sit there in silence and just watch. But um, yeah, tune in. If you have any more suggestions, if you sing the national anthem, here's another one. If you have a team pocket schedule in your cell phone calendar, please let me know. Um, Let's see. Oh, if you arrive before the gates open, you know, (laughs) this one's funny if you tailgate rain shine tidal wave whatever this one's kind of ridiculous here one of the ones here is real fans give uh, foul balls and pucks to kids no fight for it if you get it it's yours but otherwise i I don't think adults should be compelled to give foul balls to kids i mean if you're yeah i don't know i don't know that's just kind of a raw reaction but anyway uh if you have been under a rock Kemba Walker was traded from the Boston Celtics. And this one's going to be a Boston Celtics-oriented podcast today. Um, So Kemba Walker was traded along with the number 16 overall pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a second-round pick. And my first reaction was, okay, that's kind of a a lot. And I think a lot of people took to social media and goes, Boston got fleeced, absolutely fleeced fleeced oh my good brad stevens get out of that front office you don't know what you're doing and my reaction was this is actually a great move for the celtics now my initial reaction was "Ooh, kemba walker former all-star you have to give up a first to get rid of him like i I can admit kemba's not the greatest fit but to give up a first round pick to you know get off his contract that's that seems a bit much especially when you're bringing in al horford as well uh who's also on a seismic deal but this this is going to be a really really good trade for the Celtics, and I'll go I'll get into it. So first of all, let's evaluate Kemba Walker's time as a you know as a Celtic. Uh, he played in just ninety nine games out of one forty four in two shortened seasons, though he averaged twenty points, five assists, and four rebounds over those two years. Um, and and here's the thing: on paper, when the Celtics signed him, he provided the team seemingly with a closer um, and at least a one B to Tatum. Where we, you know, we think he can be the high, the highest score on some nights. He can be the starting guard on championship team, but he won't steal shots away from Tatum. He won't dominate the ball like Kyrie did at times. And most importantly, coming off a of Kyrie year, he won't, you know, poison the the chemistry. So I thought, you know, signing Kemba was going to be a really good thing. I didn't know if they'd win a championship, but I thought it was going to be promising. I thought they'd emerge as a surefire contender, and at some points throughout the last two years, they did. But once the ener- once the energy once the injuries started to pile up and the contract looked this pains me to say but more and more like the Gordon Hayward contract as as time went on the Kemba situation suddenly shifted from a contract that could help the Celtics championship hopes to one that could financially screw them um so and and here's the most glaring thing 
is that I've been a Kemba supporter throughout the last couple of years. I've been like, okay, just wait till he gets healthy. He's still one of the best point guards in the league, though I think that sentiment has since faded. But he was not on the court when the Celtics needed him most the last two games against Brooklyn. And I know what you're saying. They were going to get beat by Brooklyn anyway. I agree. But that series turned into a, you know, hopefully they can keep it close to a what if. And those two words, what if, kind of summed up the Celtics in the last year. The, the last two years have been kind of an uncertainty for Boston. You know, what if OG Ananobi doesn't hit that game-winning three in the bubble, you know, avoiding a th- an 0-3 deficit? That series against Toronto last year went to seven. It could have been easily a five-game series had OG Ananobi not hit that shot. Then the Celtics get more rest. Maybe they more, they're more ready for Miami. And maybe they can advance to the finals. And then once you get on that stage, who knows? Um and then even past that in the bubble, what if Bam Adebayo doesn't block Jason Tatum? What if? What if Kemba and Jason and Jalen Brown didn't get hurt at the end of this year? What if Jalen Brown was there for the Brooklyn series? We're seeing right now the Nets were kind of an injury and a half away from potentially getting beat by the Bucks, a team that I was not very high on at the beginning of this playoffs, simply because of their their team construction. They're playing well now. But I didn't think Middleton was going to be this. I didn't think Giannis was going to be an off-the-dribble creator. I've been saying this for a while. But Kemba's overall tenure as a Celtic was just a what-if. I still think Kemba's a good player. I don't think he's a necessarily a great player anymore, especially like as the inefficient performances began to stack up a little bit, especially when the, the Celtics were like, we need offense. We need, we need shot creating. We need scoring. We need... You know, we can afford to have Kemba being a liability on defense if he lights up for 27, if he leads us in scoring, if he provides a punch. But at times there were off the dribble mid-ranges off the screen, got some good looks, just didn't capitalize. And ultimately, we'll look back on this Kemba contract and be like, it was a good swing. Danny Ainge, I don't blame the the philosophy behind it on him. I would have done the same thing too. Kemba's going to leave us. I mean, excuse me, Kyrie's going to leave us to Brooklyn. We need a starting point guard. Let's go get Kemba Walker, who at the time I thought was going to be like similar mold, crazy handles, just not quite the, you know, don't mean to step in deep here, but not quite the head case is Kyrie. He's not going to mess up the locker room. He's not going to poison everything. You see that smile. He smiles in every possession. He's going to hustle. He's going to take charges. Kyrie very seldom, from my recollection, took charges at the level Kemba did. So I thought it was going to be a great move. It just didn't quite work out. And like I said, paying $36 million a year for a small point guard that gets injured a lot is not a good thing in the NBA. Really not. I mean, you see how Isaiah Thomas kind of withered away after he got hurt, though they were different injuries. Uh, John Wall. Uh, Russell Westbrook's been hurt, though he's you know coming back now. But John Wall, too, he missed like two years, and Kemba's not that injury prone. But the sentiment remains where, like, I don't want a 6'1 point guard that gets hurt all the time, especially when I'm paying him max dollars. When A, my bench is thin, I need to surround Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with some real players. What am I going to do? So now here's the return you trade Kemba, you trade the 16th overall pick, which. Could be a good player, but at the end of the day, is he going to really play for you? I mean, we saw Aaron Neesmith uh, come into his own in the second half of the season, started out rough. But what's the return? You get Al Horford, 
maturity and familiarity for a team that lost their way last year. And though his deal isn't financially pleasing, two years, $53 million with a partially guaranteed money at the end of it is a lot better than two years, $73 million. Meaning you can potentially bring back Evan Fournier. You might be able to strengthen the bench a little bit. Um, but the key here, and I don't even think it's Horford. I love Horford. I love the addition, especially, you know, financially, it frees things up for the Celtics. But Moses Brown, and not a lot of people know about Moses Brown if you're a Celtics fan and you don't even, I mean, it was hard to watch Oklahoma City last year. But Moses Brown, I have this belief where teams trade or they're more likely to trade for a player that goes off against them they get to see it firsthand um i'm trying to think of an example but nothing really seems to to come to mind but you know think of it in your life if you were to um have a friend right if you had a friend and you're looking to buy a car and he has a like a 2020 mazda i don't even know if he has a really nice car and you were to, you know, ride in passenger, you'd be like, oh, this is nice. You get to see it firsthand. It's kind of like a test drive. Moses Brown had 21 points and 23 rebounds against the Celtics in March. Like to Brad Stevens, the one making the deals to him for him to coach against that and for it to be on full display that we can't block him out. (laughs) He's a rebounder. He just signed. uh, I don't even know how long the deal is, but the deal. Yeah. Until 2025. He's, he's on a minimum deal, seemingly. No-brainer for the Celtics. It, he'll be off the bench. Uh, you probably have to get rid of Tristan Thompson. Um, he'll be the backup to Robert Williams to at least start the year. And then the thing is, if Moses Brown really begins to pop, Robert Williams hits restricted free agency next year. If he gets big money elsewhere, you get Al Horford and you get Moses Brown. And and you can you know chalk it up to a competition in, in practice. So I'm not going to say that, you know, Moses Brown is the replacement for Rob Williams, but worst case scenario, if Rob does decide to leave or chase big money elsewhere, I don't know if he will or not, but if that opportunity opens and you need a starter big man, you get one on the minimum. He just turned 21. He's really young. I don't know how high his ceiling is, but there's been glimpses where he came out of nowhere and he's been really good. He averaged like nine points and nine rebounds in Oklahoma City, a tough situation without much of a right now presence outside of Shea Gilgis Alexander. So, you know, it's it's tough to have to give up a first to to do the deal, but at the same time, think of it from Oklahoma City's pr- perspective. I don't want to give up a young player in Moses Brown and and take on more salary if I'm not getting something in return. I, I need a first round pick and there have been they've been hogging those forever. So uh I think this deal works for both sides. Um and at first I was like, ooh, Kemba Walker for Al Horford, yeah. But as you dive deeper into it, you can e- you can even keep Evan Fournier. So instead of like the deal is Al Horford and Moses Brown for Kemba, that looks a little lopsided at, at first glance. But once you read into it and you go, oh, you give up Kemba, but you'll get Al Horford in return, a young backup center that can potentially be your starter in a couple of years if things go haywire. And then you'll be able to keep Evan Fournier and maybe another bench player. So you're getting four potentially rotational players for the cost of one that barely played for you. So, and there have been nights where Kemba can light you up and, 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 and lead the game in scoring, but it just came to the point where those nights were so few and far between that it was hard to justify paying him that much money. Uh, so I don't know if he's going to stay in Oklahoma city. I've heard reports that the thunder are going to try to do right by him and, and be like, Oh, we'll buy you out. And we'll, you know, his options will be widened, but 
I love the deal for the Celtics, especially the Moses Brown deal, especially, and especially like how cheap he is. Plus you get maturity, you get a leader, you get an inspired guy who hasn't been in a winning organization in years. Like he was, he was in Philadelphia, a town that hated him because that contract was huge. And now at this point, it's partially guaranteed. You can move around it. You can maneuver it. Now he's going to be inspired like like Blake Griffin, think of it. He was on the Pistons. I don't. I heard this stat way too much, but I'll use it here. Blake Griffin hadn't dunked in like two years with the Pistons. He goes to Brooklyn, nineteen ducks in twelve games. It's like that. That's the that's the kind of adrenaline of inspired play and being in a winning organization. Al Horford's going to be motivated here. Al Horford's going to want to see this team win. So I I don't know if he'll be the starter. I bet he comes off the bench. But as a guy who can just be in that locker room and, and, and centralize things and and be that guy that he was when he first left, he was kind of the, the cornerstone for veteran leadership. So um, for a team that's trying to find their championship window again and, and kind of flirt with that again, bringing in Al Horford, I mean, the Celtics weren't going to be a free agent destination anyway. You might as well save money with Al Horford, though you're paying him a lot. So um, I, I like the deal a lot. I really genuinely do. And if you didn't get it at first, maybe I kind of opened your eyes there, but um, that that's just kind of where I think of it. And let's, let's just go in, into deeper with Celtics talk here. Uh, Rick Carlisle was, I, I don't know about fired or he parted ways with the Mavericks. He resigned. And my first instinct was like, Celtics just found their coach. Celtics just found their, I mean, Rick Carlisle played for the Celtics but now the report came out that the Celtics are trying to go into more of the assistant realm. Ime Udoka. I, I, it's funny. Uh, I did this blog, Any Sports United. You probably heard of it if you know me. Um, I, I went into this column about, you know, I forget even what the, what the concept was. But I think I was breaking down the nets in their future. And I was like, they got Ime Udoka on the bench. He'll be a future head coach. He'll be great. He's got loads of potential uh, assistant. I believe he played for the Spurs and then then assisted there. Um, and they always groom great coaches. So Ime Udoka, if he becomes a Celtics coach, I'm a big supporter. Sam Cassell is still atop my list from the Celtics. Dar- uh, Darvin Ham of the, the Bucks they're looking into. And Chauncey Billups, another guy that I've been supporting as a future head coach. But Rick Carlisle, I, that's my first call. W- wouldn't it be yours? After you've seen like Stan Van Gundy flake out, you've seen Nate Bjorkren flake out. You've seen Scott Brooks, you know, not really have a direction with the Wizards throughout the last five years. Wouldn't you want a guy who's won a championship, who's had some playoff experience, both as a player and a coach, and and go about it that way? So it's tough. I don't know. For some reason, the notion isn't going that way, where Rick, Rick Carlisle is not going to be the coach of the Celtics. That would have been my first call. Um, but I think that Brad is... <laughs> Gets nay in my book so far. <laughs> you load off that that big contract for some things that can that can help you right now as well as in the future. So, I, I, Brad in the front office is pretty promising. But uh, yeah, a lot of Celtics talk today. Good to have you in, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Snow Show. Thank you for tuning in as always, and uh, have a good weekend. I'll talk to you on Tuesday.